In our text this morning, Jesus and the disciples are in a ship. And I want to read and share the entire context and paragraph with you in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 14 through verse 21. The disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason you, because you have no bread? Perceive you not, yet neither understand. Have you your heart? Yet hardened, having eyes you see not, and having ears you hear not. And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves among the five thousands, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that you do not understand? Jesus asked them the question, Have you forgotten? He says, Do you not remember? That's the way the King James translates it. Philip's translation puts it, Jesus says, Have you forgotten? Reading the passage where Jesus says, Have you forgotten? And then reading the entire context, I think that I can sense some of the frustration Jesus felt with these disciples. I think that oftentimes as you read the Gospels, you understand that sometimes Jesus found it really hard to be patient with these blundering disciples of His. I'm quite certain that there were times they made Jesus literally want to just pull His hair out. In the passage, He's warned them to beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And in a typical fashion, they have missed the point completely of what Jesus is trying to tell them. I think sometimes the IQ level of the disciples bordered along the same level as Moe and Larry and Curly. They fail to understand the warning Jesus gives them here is a warning against the doctrine of the Pharisees. And they've missed the point completely. When Jesus used the word leaven, He had misled them. And that's what threw them off track. When they heard the word leaven, all they could think about was bread. And so when they heard leaven and they associated with bread, all they can do is take stock of their situation and realize we've only got one loaf of bread among us. And so they started to have an anxiety attack over it. And it was this anxiety over their bread that filled Jesus with a pained amazement. Because in the light of all of their experiences with Jesus, Jesus is wondering, how can you be so anxious and how can you be so worried? 
He says, after all, haven't I always met your needs in the past? And they should have trusted Him to meet their needs in the future. The mere fact that they had an interest in bread, that was not what Jesus found so disturbing. What Jesus found disturbing was their lack of faith. Jesus is not minimizing the importance of bread. What He's trying to do is teach these blundering disciples that Jesus is willing and Jesus is able to supply all of our needs. And so Jesus asked the question, Have you forgotten? Folks, Jesus Christ has an interest in the physical needs of our lives. Jesus knows that we cannot live by bread alone. But Jesus also knows we can't live without bread. So Jesus is as interested in the bread that gives life to the physical body as Jesus is in the bread that gives life to the soul. And I think oftentimes we forget and we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is interested in the physical, temporal things in our lives. And a failure to realize this is a concept that has resulted in a lot of harm. And it's a concept that's not quite practical. Jesus Christ our Lord is interested in everything that interests us. Jesus never drew any sharp lines of demarcation between the secular and the sacred, as we often do. Think about it when you bake a cake. When you bake a cake, do you get the cake pan and you put the sugar in one compartment? And then you put the butter over in another compartment. And then you put the, the flour and the other ingredients in another compartment in the cake pan and put it in the oven. No. You put the flour and the sugar and the butter and, and the whatever else you're going to put in there to do your voodoo with that cake. And you turn on the mix master or the sunbeam or you get that thing and do this. But somehow you mix all those ingredients together. And the butter and the sugar and the flour and all of it blends together in that pan and permeates the entire cake. It blends together. And it makes something that's inviting. Something that's delicious. And something that's fattening. Well, that's the way life is when Jesus becomes a part of it. You see, for Jesus, religion wasn't something to be compartmentalized. For Jesus, religion was something that permeated the entirety of life. Jesus knew 
that for someone to be religious only on holy days and only in holy places was in reality to not be religious at all. So Jesus is interested and was interested in the physical things as well as the spiritual things. If you carefully read the Gospels and you study the life of Jesus, Jesus never concerned Himself merely with the souls of men. I've never found a single time where Jesus met someone or greeted someone and said, How is your soul? Jesus knew that men and women and boys and girls were composed of body and spirit. But Jesus was not interested in bodies. And Jesus was not interested in spirits. Jesus was interested in people. Jesus was interested in men and women and boys and girls. Jesus knew that we were sons of Adam and we were sons of God. And Jesus also understood that we were a unit. Jesus was interested in everything. He was interested in the entire individual. Now make no mistake about it. The mind has a tremendous influence over the body. And I'm certain that Jesus knew this. And if you don't think the mind has a tremendous influence over the body, I'm reminded of something that happened, it's been about 40 or so years ago. We had a young lady that worked with us at First Federal Savings Alone. And there was a group of people there that were quite prone to play practical jokes. I won't call any of their names. But this group of people got their heads together one morning and said, Hey, let's see if we can have some fun with Jamie today. So about... 8.30 before we opened up, one of this group walked up to Jamie's desk. She was a receptionist. Jamie, you feeling all right this morning? Well, yeah, I'm fine. Why? Well, you just don't look like you feel very well. No, I'm okay. Well, about 15 minutes later, someone else walked over. Jamie, how are you feeling? Well, I'm fine. You sure? Oh, yeah. You just don't look like you feel very well. By 10 o'clock that morning, Jamie had gone home sick. The mind has a tremendous influence over the body. But if the mind can influence the body, the body can also influence the mind. This body is the house in which I live. And I realize it's not much, but it's all I got. But if this body becomes a tumbled down ruin, I may still be sound in my soul. But that kind of an achievement won't come easy. All things being equal, 
It's far easier to be genuinely Christian with a sound body than with a body that's tortured by disease. It's much easier to be sunny and happy and optimistic when we feel fit than it is when we feel unfit. We recognize this every day by the apologies we sometimes make for ourselves or the apologies that we hear others make for themselves or that we make for others. How many times have we said or heard someone say, well, I'm sorry, I'm just not, I'm just not feeling myself today. You ever said that? Have you ever heard someone else say that? Here's a news flash. If I try to make everybody around me miserable just because I'm miserable, then I'm an exceedingly selfish person. Now think about Elijah for a minute. Elijah was a tremendous man. Both by nature and by grace, Elijah was one of the greatest of the prophets. But in spite of his greatness, we find one day Elijah whining and complaining like a spoiled two-year-old child. He tells God it's not worth it. He said, God, I've had enough. God, I just want to die. He's hiding in a cave and he wants to die. And great saint that he is, Elijah's not even being honest there. Elijah said, I've had enough and I really want to die, but he didn't. Because if he had really wanted to die, all he'd had to have done is just stayed in Jezreel a couple of more days, and Jezebel would have taken care of that for him. And he wouldn't have had to pray at all. You can read all about it in 1 Kings 19. But if you carefully read the story, Elijah is playing the part of the baby partly because of exhaustion. Elijah is physically and emotionally exhausted. And the first step that God took to bringing Elijah back to himself was that God fed him. And God gave him a good night's sleep. So since Jesus is concerned with the whole individual, Jesus is keenly interested in bread. And that's an interest that runs throughout Jesus' entire ministry. Think about the time that Jesus passed through a wheat field with the disciples on the Sabbath. While they were on that journey, the disciples gathered a bit of grain to eat. Oh my, the Pharisees were outraged. But Jesus defended His friends with Scriptures and with common sense. He cited the example of David, where David said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus was concerned about bread in the days of His flesh. And Jesus was also concerned about bread after His resurrection. It's a beautiful story in John chapter 21. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And a group of the others said, we're going also. So they went fishing. Jesus is on the shore. They look up and they see 
a figure on the shore and one of them says it's the Lord. And Peter jumps into the water and swims to the shore. And when the disciples and Peter all get to the shore, you know what Jesus has done? Jesus has fixed breakfast for them. And Jesus and the disciples had breakfast there on the seashore. Because Jesus is concerned about every aspect of our lives. You see, we need to remember that bread is God's gift. All of us are familiar with the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. You remember what Jesus taught us to pray there? Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus taught us to pray for our bread. Have you ever taken the time to actually examine that prayer? To actually look at the order of that prayer? Jesus tells us to ask for bread before we ask for forgiveness. Jesus tells us to pray for bread before we pray for victory over temptation. You see, Jesus knew something that we are prone to lose sight of. He knew that often we are not prone to be greatly concerned about forgiveness if we're being tortured by hunger. He also knew that we're not likely to pray very earnestly not to be led into temptation. If starving children are tugging at us asking for bread, we can't give them. In that same way, there are times that we need to meet the physical needs of those we would take the gospel to if we're going to gain a hearing from them. That is to say that if we're going to impart our knowledge of God to others, they've got to realize that we're concerned about the physical needs of their life too. And that we're concerned about every aspect of their life. Or as someone put it in a very pithy type saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We're to ask for bread because all bread comes from God. And when we forget that fact, when we forget that our daily bread and every blessing we enjoy comes from God, according to God's Word, it makes us fools. There's a rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. His ground brought forth an abundant crop. He said, oh my, what will I do? I've got no place to put all of my stuff. I can't store all my crops. I know. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build greater barns. I'll have a place to bestow all of my goods. And I'll say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall all these things be which thou possessest? He thought because he had his barns filled to overflowing, he could get along now without God. But folks, every one of us 
must lean upon God to supply every physical need. God gives us bread as we cooperate with Him and as we cooperate with each other. When Jesus fed the 5,000 that day, it was a cooperative enterprise. All successful dealings with the bread question have to be that way. To produce bread, we have to cooperate with God. I remember hearing my grandfather talk about his youth growing up on a farm in Oklahoma. And my great-granddaddy was a Christian, and he was a farmer, and he was also a man of prayer. And W.T. Bryant was a man that would spend time on his knees praying to God for all of his physical needs. But in the springtime, when it came time to plant the crops, he didn't get down on his knees and pray and say, God, I'm going to pray that you'll sow oats in the north pasture in the north fields, and I'm going to pray that you sow corn in the south fields. He didn't depend on prayer to sow those fields. That's what he had Burst and Walt and Charlie and Merle to do. They sowed the oats and they sowed the corn. He knew that the cultivation and reaping of a harvest was a matter of cooperation between man and God. Take a look at the picture of the last judgment in Matthew 25. To one group, the king says, Depart from me, you cursed. To the other group, he says, Come, you blessed of my Father. Why the difference? Why was one group turned away while the other was made welcome? The charge against those in the group that was banished, I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. To those who were welcomed into everlasting life, he said, I was hungry, and you gave me meat. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Jesus puts a great emphasis on the way we treat other people. There's another story in Luke chapter 16 that, if possible, is even more stern. It's a story of a rich man that tradition calls Dives and a beggar named Lazarus. It's in Luke 16, 19 through 31. This beggar, Lazarus, is laid at that rich man's gate covered with sores every day, begging. The only comfort that Lazarus has is the lick of a dog's tongue on the sores that covered his body. The rich man wears the finest of clothes and eats the finest of foods, and Lazarus is just begging for the crumbs that might drop from his table. It tells us in the story that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torment. What was the sin of that rich man? We don't read anything in there about him telling the 
letting the dogs out of the pen and sicking the dogs that had big teeth on Lazarus, do we? We just hear about the gentle dogs that licked his sores. He didn't call the local constabulary and have Lazarus locked up and thrown in jail, did he? He didn't have some of his hired thugs go out and beat Lazarus to a bloody pulp. We don't read of anything he did that mistreated Lazarus in a positive way. He didn't have him stoned or beaten or thrown in jail. He just ignored him. He just allowed Lazarus to die of neglect. Jesus Christ has a concern about the physical things of our lives. Jesus Christ is concerned about every aspect of my life and yours. And Jesus wants us to have a concern for our fellow man and the needs of their life as well as ours. Folks, we've got to take Jesus seriously with this concern of His about bread. You remember the story of Cleopas and his companion from Luke chapter 24? They're on their way home from the crucifixion. And they're utterly heartbroken. And along the way, a stranger joins them. And this stranger is so charmed by so charms them with his conversation that Cleopas and his companion almost forget their sorrow. And they reach the door to their humble little house. And they invite this stranger to come into their home and abide with them and eat with them. And the stranger accepted their invitation. And supper was announced. And we're told that as Jesus sat at supper with them, He took bread. He took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He handed it to them. And it was then that their eyes were opened and they knew it was Jesus. Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And their lives... Their lives were never the same after they took Jesus Christ home with them. Yours won't be either. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.